We've been going through the book of Mark, so I'm going to invite you to take out the Bibles that you might have brought with you or the ones that are right there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to just give, give you one. You could take that one that's right there in front of you. Um, today, I'm going to read for us out of the book of Mark, chapter 10. We're still in uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 17 to 21. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 21. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. We are enmeshed in a culture that is constantly selling us something. But we have been sold a lifestyle, not just a product. The shift from consumer to steward is a shift in economies. In the new economy, Jesus' answer is in the language of what you get. Jesus goes, no one who has left anything will fail to receive from God a hundredfold in this life. is week five of Soul Shift, and we're excited that you're here. I just want to, let's just open with a quick word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for today, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about this becoming a steward, Lord, of taking everything that you have and manage it in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And Lord, I just want to pray right now for Eileen's mom. I just lift her up to you and ask that you would come in there and, and Lord, touch her physically. And may, Lord, she hear our prayers. And may, Lord, the, the prayers of the saints that go up minister to her this morning as we together worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking about medical things this morning because one of the great things about living in the Cleveland area, and there are many, many great things about living in the Cleveland area, but is our access to world-class medical care and, and facilities and doctors. And many of you are, are involved in the medical uh, fields, and it is so great to have it here. Now, if we could only figure out a way that we could afford to access it, that would be great. But, uh, you know, it's, it's there, and we have that possibility. And, and, but 
all this science stuff and medical stuff just kind of blows me away. I, you know, I just don't understand. I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm not a science guy. And when I start thinking of technology and different things, I'm still blown away by 100-year-old technology. And 100, in fact, it was 120 years ago that the first x-ray was taken. And I look at x-ray, high-frequency energy waves. I don't even, I can't understand a high-frequency energy wave. That it would come and it would be able to give us an, a, a look at what is inside. About 50 years later, we started getting, 60, 70 years later, started getting to things like MRIs and, and CAT scans and PET scans and things like that that, that just give us a view of, of the internal uh, those are high-frequency energy waves. Then high-frequency sound waves came along in the 50s, and all of a sudden we got ultrasound, and we could actually see the little one inside of us. This baby is about 12 weeks at this point. And how beautiful that is, and we think that is so cool that what was unseen is now seen, as Pastor Eric would have talked last week, that we can, we can actually take parts of our body that were unseen and continue to be unseen, but we can get a glimpse of it. I wonder if there would ever be a machine, a, a photograph, a camera or something that could take a picture of our soul. What would our soul look like? If, if God could get that picture and get and say, here is a healthy soul. Here's a soul that's not so healthy. Here's what it looks like. Howard Dayton in his book, Your Money Counts, said that um, there is a way. Well, actually others have said there is a way. There, there's a way of a little bit uh, getting a glimpse of our soul. And that is actually in how we handle our possessions. In Your Money Counts, uh, Dayton said that there are over 500 verses on prayer in the Bible, less than 500 on faith, but 2,350 verses on how we handle money and possessions. Because I think God understands and Jesus understood that to get a glimpse of our soul, the health of our soul, we can see that very readily in how we handle what we own, how we handle what comes into our lives, and how we handle what we work and sweat for. And so we see this this morning in this encounter in Mark chapter 10. In fact, as you remember, we've been in Mark chapter 10 for a few weeks, and Jesus has had some encounters. He's had an encounter with parents bringing their children to him. Ones who had nothing to give. Ones who could do nothing on their own. Everything had to be done for them, taken care of, fed, provided for. And Jesus said, become like one of these. And then at the end of Mark chapter 10, he had another encounter with a blind man. Somebody else who need, needed help. He needed people to help him get to where he was going to go if he wasn't familiar with it. He needed people to help him in all kinds of ways. That's why he ended up being a beggar. But this is a little different. This man, the Bible tells us, when he comes to Jesus, is rich. And in fact, Matthew tells us he's young in his account. And so, I mean, isn't that young and rich? What more could you ask for, right? And so this, this young, rich man comes up to Jesus. And you look at it here, I, I think he's very sincere. His words aren't arrogant. They're not self-righteous. 
He, he's coming and he simply has a question. In fact, from what we can observe here, it appears that this young, rich man is very religious. In fact, he is so good at doing what he does in his faith, in his religion, that he's really attuned, it appears, to his soul a little bit. Because he comes to Jesus knowing, or at least in his mind thinking, that something is missing. I'm coming up short somewhere. There's got to be more. And so he asked Jesus about the more in this passage. He says this. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When he says this, he's obviously thinking about the Jewish works of righteousness. In fact, these Jewish people would have been trained, they would have been taught that to have life, you got to obey the commandments. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 30 says, to love the Lord, walk in his ways, keep his commands, his decrees, his laws, and you will live. And so he comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do? Now, it's interesting because Jesus had just talked to the people around him with the child. And it said, unless you receive the gospel as this little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He had just talked about it's not what you do, it's what you receive. You can't, you can't, you're like the child, you can't do anything. It's earned, it's not earned. And yet right now, the very next line, but it's interesting, it also says, it's happened as Jesus was starting to walk away and this man ran up to him. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe this man had not been part of that conversation. But it shows how pervasive this thought was. You know, when culture tells you something and you've heard something all your life, it's hard to buck that. You know how hard it is today for when we share the gospel to say it's not something you earn, it's something you receive. How hard it is for people to accept that. But yet some of us have heard it again and again and again and again. Think about trying to teach that to somebody who's never heard it. All they've ever heard was you got to keep the rules. Keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. It's all they ever heard. And all of a sudden Jesus is coming in and he's bucking the culture. And he's upsetting the apple cart. All they had known, it flies in the face. How hard is it to resist culture? It can be very difficult. Very difficult. So Jesus, hearing the man's cry, starts out by saying, basically, keep the last half of the commandments. Meeting him where he is, he says right there, he says, you know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. These commandments all relate to how we relate to each other, how we relate to other people. It's interesting he uses the word defraud here because the defraud is not really one of the Ten Commandments, but it seems to be another, another term that, that Mark uses for covet. He said, you know, you're not going to cut. If you covet someone, you're going to try to figure out a way to get it from them. He says, don't defraud them. Don't covet. And a man's response was, I've kept all these since I was a boy. 
I've kept all of them. You say, that sounds arrogant. Well, Paul says the same thing pretty much. He said, I was flawless. This was important to them. It was important for these young religious folks to keep to the letter of the law. And he says, I've done it since I was a boy. Now, that probably doesn't mean since two. It probably means since about 13. At 13, when a Jewish boy became a man, he was also at that point required to start following and obeying God's commandments. He was a man now, and he was responsible for his own life. Here is where Matthew's version says, the man said, what do I still lack? Okay, but, but I'm still missing something. There's something that's not right. I can sense it in my soul. And so he says, what do I still lack? And Jesus is more than happy to answer that question. Verse 21, he says this, go Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Pretty all-encompassing, wouldn't you agree? I look at that verse and the go and sell stand out. But to me, not as much as the next word, everything. 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 Can you imagine what God, Jesus here is requiring of this man? Everything that he'd worked for, everything he'd accumulated, all those special things that have value and meaning, all the things that he's worked for. You know, how many of us, how many of us have worked hard and saved money to buy that special thing? (laughs) That, That special car that special gadget, that special whatever. And Jesus is saying, hey, go and sell it. Everything, everything. But that's not too bad because really all you're doing is converting, here's the accountant in me coming out, you're just converting one asset to another, right? You're converting your, your house into cash. You're converting your car into cash. You're converting your sheep, your cattle, whatever he might have had into cash. And then he says the next word, give. Give to the poor. Divest yourself. Divest yourself of the goods. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He says, give me everything. Surrender. It's a matter of trust. And then he gets really to the heart of the matter. Because in reality, this is not a lesson about finances. This is a lesson about surrender. This is a lesson about eternal life. And he says, come and follow. You see, Jesus really wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in having another follower of the rules in his band of men. He wasn't interested in having a rule follower. He was interested in having a Christ follower. Jesus was interested in having a disciple. A disciple. And so this man who's asked how I can inherit eternal life, and Jesus has told him, you got to make a trade. you got to trade your possessions for something that money can't buy. 
Trade your possessions for something money can't buy. You might think this morning, wow, that seems like a hard thing to do. It seems like a hard thing to do to give up everything. I would suggest try comparing that to following Jesus when you're trying to hold on to everything. He's just saying here, you have to let go. You have to let go. You need a shift. A shift. In the book, Contagious Generosity, the authors make this comment. They say this, generosity flows from an understanding that all we have, are, and ever will be is not ours to possess. It begins by understanding that what we have is not ours to own. It's the beginning of understanding biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship is the several principles, and one of the first principles is God is the owner of everything. God is the owner of everything. Colossians 1.16 says all things were created by him and for him. God owns it all. The second principle of real stewardship is this, what we have has been given to us by God. If God owns everything, what we have has been given to us by God. So it's not really ours to possess. It says all that we have, are, and ever will become is not ours to possess. And the quote goes on, and it results in sharing what we've been given with others for the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. The third principle is the resources that we do have are to be invested for God. These are, re- these are an understanding of stewardship that this young man could not grasp. He thought everything he had was his. He had earned it. He possessed it. Possession is what? Nine-tenths of the law. <laughs> so they're not God's, they're mine. And, a, and a, any kind of theology or understanding of stewardship was far from anything that he could grasp. You see, he needed to make a shift. And we all need to make a shift at some point in time in our lives from being a consumer of what God has given us to being a steward of what God has given us. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time explaining what a consumer is. <laughs> we consume a lot. In fact, if you read your book this week, there is the first three or four pages are all talking about how we consume, the mass quantities of things we consume in our lives. 20% of the world consumes something like 75% of what is consumable in the world. They're the richest 20%. And we go about spending and acquiring and accumulating. Think about all the junk that is just in our garages and in our basement. We accumulate and we accumulate and we accumulate. We acquire it. We hold it. We hoard it. We get addicted to it. And when God steps in and says, give it up, culture cries don't. Because culture says we are valued and we are measured, aren't we, by our accumulations? 
Culture says you are, you, you are judged by how you look, by what you wear, by what you drive. I don't say this, tell this story out of any kind of pride or just, it's just, maybe it'll help you. But I remember in the early 1990s, I had, uh, I just made partner in my accounting firm. And, you know, like everybody else, I had eyes and would look around. And I looked around at people who had made partner before me the last year or two and the people who were, who were making partner with me. And you know what the first thing they did? They went to the bank, they showed them how much money they were going to make, and they went out and they bought a house 10 times what they could afford. <laughs> and they became a slave to debt. They became a slave to their, to their bank. They, they became restricted, handcuffed in what they could do in their lives. And Sheila and I sat down and we lived in this house that we, we really loved. We bought it when our daughter was one year old and it was big enough for and we only had two kids, weren't planning anymore. Debt was small and probably could pay it off. And I thought, should we be like the others? Or do, we, or do we live differently? Do we say, this is not ours to possess? We want to we be good stewards of what God has given us. And, and honestly, that wasn't even a tough decision because both of us are incredibly cheap. <laughs> we, 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 just, we, we are just fine with this and it, it wasn't even something, we didn't even sweat about it. But as the years went on and I saw my fellow workers dying and working hard and trying to pay to earn enough to live in these houses that were so huge and so ridiculously grand, grandious, whatever that word is, <laughs> it was big and it was beautiful. And we were able to give, we were to serve, we were to go on mission trips. Because we weren't slaves. We weren't trying to live up to our culture and what it demands. It was part of learning to reject this consumer mentality and to become a steward of what God has given us. All we have, it's not ours to possess. We become managers of what he gives us. Unfortunately for the rich young man, he couldn't quite handle this. In fact, the next verse after what Pastor Eric read today says this, as this man's face fell, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is why I think he's genuine. If, this was, if, he, was, if he was like some of these other guys trying to trick Jesus, I think it would have said he went away with a smirk. <laughs> it doesn't say he went away with a smirk. It says his face fell. He was sad. And the picture of his soul became very clear. You see, this guy was great at keeping commandments number five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten. But he blew it on keeping commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. 
He walked away that day saying, my God is my wealth. My God, who I'm going to trust, is my accumulation. And he completely failed on loving the Lord your God, the first commandment that Jesus quoted with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He completely forget, forgot the first commandment of the 10. He said, I can do all those others, but I can't give it up all and make God first. He couldn't make the shift from consumer to steward. He couldn't appreciate that there is a wide variety, a wide difference between God's economy and man's economy. Jesus has already talked about this a little bit. He said, in God's economy, the first shall be last, <laughs> and the last shall be first. In God's economy, you've got to become like a child, not like some great ruler. Man's economy is based on core beliefs like wealth brings security. Power is important. And this life is all there is. And, and man's economy, possessions are 100% ours. In God's economy, possessions are 100% his. In man's economy, security comes from material accumulation. In God's economy, materials comes from knowing that God is our provider. In man's economy, our treasures are on earth, where they rot and they can be stolen. In God's economy, our treasures are in heaven. No rot, very secure. And that's what Jesus' message to this man was. And his message to us, and to I think this man too, is just what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you can't live in both economies. He says this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The, the shift that needs to be made is a shift from taking everything that God has given us, worshiping it and, and, and putting priority on it. And it's a moving to a shift where we say, God, thank you for what you've given us. Help us manage it for you. Help me take care of it. Help me use it. Help me bring glory to you. That's the shift from consumer to steward. Consumer to steward is I have no ownership. Steward says, God, you own it all. That's the shift that Jesus was requiring for this man's soul. He said, you've got you've to make that shift. You've got to make that choice. Now, he's granted, he doesn't ask every one of us to sell everything and give it. Because Paul even, well, we know Jesus uh, had dealt with a lot of people and he didn't tell everybody this. And Paul talks about the people with money that, that help him in his ministry, like Lydia in Philippi, who helped sponsor, who helped, who helped uh, uh, give them whatever he was needed, his house, her house, and other material things to start that church in Philippi. In fact, he gives instructions to Timothy on what you should tell the rich people. So he didn't, and it wasn't get rid of everything. But it was to have this understanding that God owns it all. And if we think we own it, we're in for a big surprise. No one can serve two masters. Jesus went on and says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be.
In man's economy, our citizenship is here on earth. In God's economy, our citizenship is in heaven. And you can't be in both places. I uh, have in my pocket here some things I picked up. This is, uh, this is real money, but it's Brazilian money. It's a Brazilian, I got over here over 100 Brazilian real, or however you pronounce it. That's real money. I, I think this, if my, if my conversion's right, it's about 30 bucks U.S., and I brought this with me, and, and I brought it across the border when I came back from Brazil a few years ago. But you know what? If I went to Starbucks today and tried to spend this, they go, uh-uh, that doesn't spend here. That doesn't spend here. When you're in one economy... You better make sure you have the currency of that economy. When you're in God's economy and we come in saying, Lord, look at all that we've brought to you. And it's all these possessions. God says, hey, that doesn't spend here. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I was thinking about when I said, you know, where's your treasure? Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. It wasn't your dollars, it wasn't your reals, it wasn't anything else. It was where your soul is. And if you made that move from saying, God, what I have is not mine, it's yours. It's a, it's a principle of enough. What's enough? God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use just enough. I'm a, I, 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 I need to feed my family. Jesus said, when, he's, when you pray, pray, Father, give us this day our daily bread. Most of us have so much stuff, we don't worry about the daily bread. <laughs> but Lord, if I, if I really am open with my goods, if anything I have is yours, give me this day my daily bread. That's enough. That's enough. What's enough? What's enough? How's your soul? What's that picture of your soul look like this morning? Is it greedy? Is it hanging on? Is it saying, no, I, I'm going to hang on because the world is going to expect of me certain things? Or is it, no, I want to be known as one who is firmly embracing God's economy. He owns it all. And whatever he gives me to live on, it's enough. Whatever I can give away so I can support missions and hold on to the rest, just, just enough. Just enough. God will bless that. Let's stand together. We're going to close by singing this song that just simply says, Christ is enough for me. And I want it to be the testimony of our hearts this morning. I want us to sing it like we mean it because we've done away with man's economy. And this morning we're walking in God's economy. Generous, joyous, letting go of it all. Christ is enough. Christ is my reward. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. And now there's nothing in this world that could 
ever satisfy through every trial my soul will sing no turning back I've been set free Christ is enough for me Christ is enough for me everything I need is in you everything I need Christ my all in all joy my salvation is Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 when he's advising him on what to say to some of the rich folk in his congregation. He says this in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This week, go. Make a, make a shift, a much-needed shift if you need to, from being a consumer to being a steward, from saying, I own it, saying it's God's from living really in a life without Christ fully into a life that fully embraces the teachings of Christ and enters into new life the life that this man couldn't do let's pray Lord go with us help us Lord to understand this week as we look at our stuff what is enough what do we really need and Lord, to say, as we've just sang this morning, Christ is enough. I will follow him. I will serve him. And as Paul says, Lord, I will give all that I can out of gratitude of being your steward, your manager, being entrusted with all these good things. We give praise and honor to you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Go and serve. Be a steward of God's grace.